from the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the RX study. In the past, uh, a lot of people would have termed these signs as hypertensive retinopathy. However, we know now that uh, they do not just simply occur in people with hypertension. They also can be seen in people without diabetes and without hypertension. First this, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Wang declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. No single department of ophthalmology has the best lectures in every field. Open Ophthalmology is a meta-school in which lecturers from different departments have access to ophthalmology residents everywhere. I've seeded this marketplace of ideas with my own course on clinical optics. Who's your department's best lecturer? Let me know and come visit us at openophthalmology.com. Open Ophthalmology. Let a hundred flowers bloom. We're all acquainted with diabetic retinopathy and hypertensive retinopathy, and we follow diabetic and hypertensive patients for the development of this condition. But what of the patient who presents primarily with retinopathy? What does this retinopathy mean? Will it persist? To answer questions like these, we need a large population-based study, like the ARIC study, and a researcher like Tian Wang. When we think of retinopathy signs in non-diabetics, what are we talking about? I think that the when we think about retinopathy signs in non-diabetics, there's very few understanding of what are the risk factors, what is the prevalence, and what is the incidence of these signs. Uh, until the last uh, 10 years or so, whereby we become more aware that uh, these signs are quite common in people without diabetes itself in the general adult population. What are the physical characteristics of these signs? When you look at the retina of a non-diabetic with retinopathy, what do you see? We see isolated uh, signs such as an isolated microaneurysm, uh, an isolated retinal hemorrhage. Uh, it could be a cotton wool spot or it could be a one or two microaneurysms. So it's very subtle uh, retinopathy signs, and it's not as marked uh, as what you would expect to see, for example, in uh, a person with a very uh, uh, definite diabetic retinopathy. Prior to this study, how common were these signs felt to be? Um, as I said, about 10 years ago, um, there has been a new understanding that these signs uh, can be seen in up to uh, 10% of the adult population 40 years and above. So they are not uncommon even in people without diabetes. Do these signs have any pathophysiological significance, systemic significance? Well, we know that there are uh, generally two uh, major characteristics of these signs. First, uh, it is strongly related to blood pressure. And so in the past, uh, a lot of people would have termed these signs as hypertensive retinopathy. However, we know now that uh, they do not just simply occur in people with hypertension. They also can be seen in people without diabetes and without hypertension. So I would term them as really a non-diabetic retinopathy signs. The second characteristic is that in the last, uh, again, five years or so, there's been 
a strong uh, evidence from large studies that these signs by themselves are risk markers for very significant cardiovascular diseases such as stroke, such as heart failure and cardiovascular mortality. Do we know what the underlying pathophysiology is here? Well, we, we don't have that much uh, understanding of this. And in fact, that's one of the purpose of this study. But as I mentioned before, uh, we think that it is related to blood pressure, which is, will be one of the major risk factors for the development of these signs. But we think that even the uh, glucose itself, uh, higher glucose, for example, uh, in levels that are not uh, in the diabetic range itself might also be a, another uh, pathophysiological risk factors. We think that some studies have identified uh, inflammatory markers to be associated with these signs, so possibly there's some underlying uh, ocular inflammation that could be uh, another uh, mechanism for the development of these signs. Prior to your study, what did we know about retinopathy in non-diabetics? Prior to our study, there has only been very limited studies on understanding how common these signs developed over time. So, um, for example, in the Beaver Dam study, uh, which was done uh, uh, in Wisconsin itself, they looked at the five-year incidence of these signs, and they found that uh, the incidence was about uh, uh, between 5 to 10%, depending on the age range of the, of the patients. And similarly, this was found uh, in the Horn study, which was done in Europe, and as well as the Blue Mountains Eye study, which was done in Australia. But there's also been very little studies done, for example, in uh, a non-Caucasian uh, population, such as African Americans, which was one of the reasons why we did this study uh, uh, in the ERIC uh, uh, data. Tian, what is the atherosclerosis risk in community study, the ERIC study? Okay, the ERIC study is uh, a long-term prospective uh, cohort study involving uh, uh, at the baseline examination, about 15,000 people uh, at the age of uh, uh, middle age people of 45 to 64 years at baseline from four U.S. communities uh, in North Carolina, Mississippi, Minnesota, and Maryland. Uh, at the third examination, which was conducted uh, in 1993 to 1995, about 12,000 people were re-examined and they had retinal photographs taken. A subsample of this 12,000 people were further re-photographed three years later uh, and the number of people that were re-photographed were about 1,000 people and this 1,000 people formed the uh, cohort that we, uh, uh, we did the analysis on for this study. Tian, can I have you describe the design of this study? Well, at baseline, which is, uh, we take at the third examination, uh, we photograph, as I mentioned, uh, about 1,000 people uh, in which uh, they had one uh, a photograph of their retina of one randomly selected eye. It could be either the right or the left eye. The same eye was photographed again three years later uh, in these 1,000 people. The photographs were uh, analyzed for any retinopathy signs, which included, uh, as I mentioned, microaneurysms, blot or flame-shaped hemorrhages, cotton wool spot, and heart exudate. If the retina showed any 
one of these signs they were defined to have some retinopathy. At the follow-up examination, we re-examined the photographs for these signs itself. And we defined people who developed incident retinopathy if they did not have these signs at the baseline photograph, but they had these signs seen at the three-year uh, follow-up examination when they were re-photographed. So they were defined to have incident retinopathy. For people that had retinopathy at both the uh, baseline as well as the subsequent examination three years later, we define them to have what we call cumulative prevalence of retinopathy. Tian, how was the retinopathy graded? The retinopathy was graded uh, uh, basically by examining the photographs uh, using uh, a standardized classification based on the ETDRS uh, classification system. And uh, retinopathy, if they were seen in any of the four quadrants, um, they were defined as uh, definite or probable. Uh, and then uh, they were summarized, uh, as I mentioned, to uh, define any retinopathy. Uh, if any of the signs, uh, uh, as I mentioned before, microaneurysms, retinal hemorrhages, cotton wool spot, and heart exudates were present in any of the four quadrants of the retinal photograph. What constituted cardiovascular risk factors? We examined a whole range of cardiovascular risk factors, including uh, traditional risk factors such as blood pressure, such as uh, uh, fasting glucose levels, uh, cholesterol levels, uh, and uh, body mass index, uh, history of cigarette smoking and alcohol consumption. We also investigated a range of uh, novel risk factors. For example, we, exa- uh, we investigated uh, plasma fibrinogen, which is uh, a marker of inflammation. We also examine uh, other hematological factors such as uh, white blood cell count, factor 8, which is another marker of uh, uh, hemostatic function itself. And um, we also had very good uh, ascertainment of uh, coronary heart disease, uh, which was uh, done by uh, examining both the uh, clinical records in the hospital, as well as by a, a committee that adjudicated the events. Uh, we, we did this for a coronary heart disease, stroke, and we also measured their uh, carotid artery intima media thickness by ultrasound. Tian, what were your findings? We found that in a three-year period, the overall incidence of retinopathy in this cohort was 3.8% which works out to be about um, an average incidence of about 1.2% per year in uh, this cohort. We found that the cumulative prevalence, that is those with retinopathy at baseline and a follow-up examination was 7.7%. So in other words, in a person uh, of middle age, uh, um, uh, between 40 to 70, we would expect that uh, over a three-year period, uh, uh, about 7.7% will have these retinopathy signs. We further looked at whether the signs, uh, the incident was higher in people with, with and without diabetes, and we found not unexpectedly that if the person had diabetes at baseline, the incidence was much higher at 10%, and the cumulative prevalence was also much higher at 27%. Amongst the people without diabetes, the three-year incidence was 2.9%, 
and the cumulative prevalence was 4.3%. So overall, the incidence and the cumulative prevalence is not low in this population-based study. What role did the patient's race play? We found that the uh, African-American persons had about double the risk of retinopathy as compared to the uh, Caucasian white population. In the African-American subjects, the cumulative prevalence of any retinopathy was 13%, but in the Caucasian white subjects, it was only 5.5%. So that is more than double the rates in African-American subjects. What are some of the other factors that proved to be important? We found that uh, there was a very consistent relationship with blood pressure. Those people with higher systolic blood pressure had a higher incidence as well as a cumulative prevalence of any retinopathy. And this was seen even after excluding the people with diabetes itself. So we found that to be a very strong and consistent association. We also found that fasting glucose levels, the higher the levels, the higher the incidence of any retinopathy. And this was also seen in people who did not have diabetes as well. And so this was somewhat unexpected, but nevertheless, it is consistent with the literature which shows that hyperglycemia is also an important risk factor for retinopathy. Other than that, the other associations were not so consistent. We found some moderate association with higher cholesterol level and the incidence of any retinopathy, as well as the cumulative prevalence of retinopathy. But these associations were not significant once we have excluded people with diabetes. We have found a very interesting association between higher levels of plasma fibrinogen, which is a marker of systemic inflammation and both the incidence and the cumulative prevalence of any retinopathy. But again, this association was not significant once we've excluded people with diabetes. So these associations were also independent after controlling for age, race, gender, and other risk factors, for example, cigarette smoking. Did you do any multivariate analysis? Yes. In in multivariate modeling, the uh, risk factors that were significant were higher mean arterial blood pressure, fasting serum glucose, total cholesterol, and plasma fibrinogen, uh, controlling for age, gender, race, cigarette smoking, and and study center. That was seen for three-year incidence of any retinopathy. We also found similar relationships with three-year cumulative prevalence of any retinopathy. In people without diabetes, in the multivariate models, the significant risk factors were higher mean arterial blood pressure and fasting serum glucose levels controlling for the other risk factors. Did retinopathy in any of these patients regress? And what factors were associated with regression? We found that there were some people, in fact, about more than half of the people who had some retinopathy signs at the baseline examination when they had the retinal photographs did not have these signs again in the same location three years later. So the incidence of this regression was 42%. 
And we found that the people that had so-called regression of these retinopathy signs were at baseline less likely to have diabetes, were never or past cigarette smokers, had smaller waist-to-hip ratios, and higher levels of physical activities. So these were factors that we thought would be important for people who had retinopathy uh, to have their retinopathy regress three years later. How did these findings compare with those of previous studies? Direct comparison of our study findings with three previous studies, the Beaverdam study, the Horn study in Europe, as well as the Blue Mountains Eye study, should be done cautiously because the method, methodology of the examination, the patient characteristics, and the study location and time frame are, uh, were not the same. Nevertheless, we found very consistent findings uh, in uh, some of the other previous studies. First, we found that the incidence per year is quite similar between our study and the Beaver Dam and the Horn study, slightly lower than the Blue Mountains Eye study. But nevertheless, I think we can generalize that the annual incidence of non-diabetic retinopathy is between 1% to 1.7% in the general adult population. We found that hypertension and hyperglycemia were consistent risk factors for the incidence and cumulative prevalence of any retinopathy in our study. This is similar, for example, to the Beaverdam Eye Study, which found that hypertension was also associated with five-year incidence of non-diabetic retinopathy. However, other studies, for example, the Blue Mountains Eye Study, did not find hypertension or hyperglycemia to be a risk factor for incident retinopathy in people without diabetes. So there's still some areas in which it was not completely similar between our study and other larger studies that also looked at incidence of retinopathy. Now, in this finding in which you did find that hyperglycemia was a risk factor for non-diabetics, what do you think is going on here? Are, are, are these patients, in essence, form fruce diabetics? That, uh, we felt that that was quite an important finding itself. Um, there are several explanations. One is that these people might end up having uh, uh, developing diabetes subsequently in the future and that the retinopathy signs is a subclinical or preclinical marker of the diabetic state in which the patients still have not reached the glycemic threshold for them to be considered or to be managed like people with diabetes. The other thing we found interesting was that retinopathy signs in people that do not have diabetes and yet was related to hyperglycemia suggests something that we have always suspected all along, that the relationship between hyperglycemia and retinopathy is not due to a specific threshold in which people have diabetes will have retinopathy and those people without diabetes will not have retinopathy. But it suggests that there's a linear continuous effect of hyperglycemia on the retinal microvasculature such that even at lower levels, there could be the already the development of retinopathy 
even if you do not have diabetes at the time uh, of uh, the examination. Tian, what do you make of the apparent regression observed in a large number of retinopathy patients? It, it does suggest two things. One was that it could be that in our study there was some misclassification, as in maybe the microaneurysms was not there at either the baseline or the follow-up examination. Since we did not do a site-by-site comparison, it is impossible to determine whether there's some misclassification. But it is heartening to know that in the Blue Mountains Eye Study, they noted that also about 50% of the patients who had retinopathy signs at baseline did not have these signs five years later, even with a side-by-side comparison of photographs between the baseline and the follow-up examination. This study, as well as ours, therefore suggests that there might be a true effect in which retinopathy signs can regress. We know that when there's good and adequate control of both hyperglycemia and blood pressure in people with diabetes, as shown in the clinical trials, retinopathy progression is slowed and may, in some cases, even regress. So this is not unexpected in that sense. What we are now showing is that these mild retinopathy signs may regress even without treatment, even without aggressive control of either glucose or blood pressure. And so maybe mild retinopathy signs seems to be a transient phenomenon that may regress even without treatment. We did find, however, that people who had lower levels of cardiovascular risk factors were more likely to regress. In other words, if patients who are not cigarette smokers, who had lower levels of waist to hip ratio, which is a measure of obesity, and had higher levels of physical activity, they were more likely to have regression of the retinopathy signs. Has this study influenced the way you view retinopathy in non-diabetic patients? I think that this study has provided a greater understanding of the fact that retinopathy in non-diabetic patients, number one, are common, number two, are related to very similar risk factors that we think is occurring in people with diabetic retinopathy. And number three, there is not only a common incidence of these signs, but there might also be regression of these signs if you have retinopathy. And finally, I think we know that these signs are markers of subclinical and preclinical cardiovascular diseases. And thus, the significance of these signs are that once we detect these signs, patients should really be adequately monitored and carefully uh, assessed for cardiovascular risk. Tian, where are you going to take things from here? We are now conducting a longer-term follow-up of these retinopathy signs. And the next study we are looking at is the development of these non-diabetic retinopathy signs over a 10-year period in the ERIC study. So hopefully we will have some data to understand the long-term natural history and evolution of these signs over time uh, in the same population in the next few years. Tian Wang, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Tian Wang is Professor of Ophthalmology at the University of Melbourne Centre for Eye Research Australia in Melbourne, Australia. His paper, 
three-year incidence and cumulative prevalence of retinopathy, the atherosclerosis risk in communities study, appears in the June 2007 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Wong or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States style area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.